0: Welcome to the World War II Radio Podcast. Today we have the May 2nd, 1941 episode of the story behind the headlines, entitled The Riddle of the Straits. This show, which took a deeper dive into the history of many of the areas involved in World War II, was produced by NBC in cooperation with the American Historical Association, and was hosted by Caesar Searchinger from 1938 to 1948. Searchinger was a pioneer of transatlantic broadcasting and who served as European director of CBS Radio from 1930 to 1937. The World War II Radio Podcast is a Brick Pickle Media production. If you like the show, please leave feedback on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. You can also support the show by clicking on the link in the show notes and offering your financial support. Your donations help us continue to produce the podcast. And thanks to those of you who have already donated. So again, please enjoy today's episode of the World War II Radio Podcast. And thanks for listening. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If Only in Theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news?
1: The National Broadcasting Company, in cooperation with the American Historical Association, again presents Caesar Searchinger, noted foreign correspondent and writer, in an informal analysis of the news. With the assistance of a research panel of eminent historians, Mr. Searchinger retraces the events of the past to help you in arriving at a fuller understanding of what is happening today. Copies of these talks are available to our radio audience at the cost of ten cents. Send 10 cents in coin or stamps to the story behind the headlines... ...National Broadcasting Company, Post Office Box 30, Station J, New York City. Mr. Searchinger's subject tonight is the riddle of the straits. Mr. Searchinger.
2: Good evening. The most serious news in the papers this and last week... ...aside from the British evacuation from Greece... ...and the Nazi breakthrough at Tobruk... ...was the occupation of certain Greek islands by German troops... These islands include Samothrace and Lemnos, and they cover the western entrance to the Dardanelles. Two other islands, Lesbos and Chios, further south and still closer to the Turkish coast, are rumoured to be occupied, or maybe taken any day, unless the British fleet can prevent it. If it can't, the Germans will soon have a chain of Axis-controlled islands running all the way from the mouth of the Dardanelles to Italy's Dodecanese islands on the southeastern Turkish coast. These islands can blockade all Turkish harbors except the remote and unimportant ones on the southern coast. Significant in this connection is the rumored passage of several merchant ships carrying German war materials from the Black Sea to the Aegean through the Turkish Straits, which could hardly have occurred without Turkish acquiescence. What these things portend is not difficult to guess especially in view of the intense diplomatic pressure now being applied to the Turks. In any case, the conflict at the moment seems to be focusing on the historic waterway between the Mediterranean and the Black Sea, consisting of the narrow Dardanelles at one end, the even narrower Bosporus at the other, and the Sea of Marmara in between, all collectively known as the Turkish Straits. The importance of that narrow channel of water in the fate of nations goes back to prehistoric times, This is indicated even in the mythology of the ancient Greeks. For Jason and his Argonauts sailed through the Hellespont, the Greek name for the Dardanelles, in search of the Golden Fleece, probably an ancient symbol for wealth. Control of the Hellespont, or Dardanelles, was the real issue of the Trojan War. For the citizens of ancient Troy, and of the cities that occupied the site before Troy, levied heavy tolls on the ships trading through the straits, bringing grain from the north shore of the Black Sea, now called the Ukraine, and tapping the trade routes to the Orient through the harbors along the southern shore. After the Battle of Salamis, which, as I mentioned last week, established Greek sea power in the Aegean, Athens controlled the Black Sea route, both by her fleet and by colonies, or bases, as we should say today, until the Athenian Empire was destroyed in the Peloponnesian War. To the Roman Empire, the Black Sea route was less important than to the Greeks, only because Rome traded with the East through Syria and Egypt, and the African colonies supplied it with grain. But after Rome declined and the Mohammedans cut Christian Europe off from these routes, the Straits recovered their old importance for the Western world. Meantime, Constantinople had been built at the Bosporus as the capital of the Eastern Empire, and the Greek emperors had established complete control over the Mediterranean Black Sea route. The question of the Straits has been a difficult European problem ever since. From the 11th century onwards, it chiefly concerned the sovereign trading cities of Italy, like Venice and Genoa, who competed bitterly for the privilege of navigating the Straits. There was no such thing as the open door in those days. The Venetians went so far as to conquer Constantinople in the Fourth Crusade, after which they exercised an overlordship over the Black Sea. Then the Genoese helped the Greeks recapture their capital, and for some time they enjoyed a monopoly of the Black Sea trade. But in 1452, the Ottoman Turks took Constantinople, and the control of the Straits passed into Muslim hands. The Turks had already conquered all of Asia Minor, the Balkans, and Greece. By 1457, the Black Sea had become a Turkish lake. Thanks to the construction of heavy guns, which was a novelty in the 15th century, the Turks were able to close the Straits to all other nations, and the conquest of Egypt also gave them a monopoly of the East Indian trade. The Turkish monopoly of the Black Sea was maintained until the 18th century, when the Russian Empire established itself on the northern shore. The advent of Russia among the Black Sea nations changed the problem of the Straits. It was Peter the Great who realized that the future greatness of Russia depended on access to a warm water sea. But it was a woman who first forced the Sultan to give up his ex- exclusive control of the Black Sea, namely Catherine II. Catherine actually sent a fleet from the Baltic all the way around Gibraltar to blockade the Dardanelles from the west. Four years later, the straits were opened to the merchant ships of Russia and soon to those of other countries as well, including England and France. The Turkish commercial monopoly was broken at last, and trade of all kinds has flowed between the Mediterranean and the ports of the Black Sea ever since, at least in times of peace. But, besides being the great corridor of trade, the Straits, as the link between two continents, have had great strategic importance both in ancient and modern times. Darius, the Persian king, crossed the Dardanelles in the 6th century B.C. to ravage European lands. His son Xerxes built his famous bridge of boats across them to march a mighty army into Greece. He chose a spot on the Narrows, just where the Straits are only a mile wide, where Leander used to swim across to see his lady-love, Hero, and where the Turks erected their toll stations for less romantic purposes later on. The Turks, by the way, first crossed into Europe near the same place in 1354, though they didn't conquer Constantinople for another 99 years. Constantinople was built at the Bosporus, which in places is only 800 yards, to hold the European and Asiatic parts of the Greek Empire together. By means of this maritime fort, the Turks were able to keep all warships from passing through the Straits. When the Russians became a Black Sea power under Peter the Great, The Turks at first denied them the right to have a fleet. In fact, they beat them in a naval battle and forced them to disarm. But a century later, when Napoleon invaded Egypt, which was a Turkish possession, the Sultan in his fright called on the Russian Tsar for help. Russian warships entered the Bosporus, and for a time passed freely in and out. Thereafter, Turkey might have been at the mercy of Russia, except for England. Napoleon's Egyptian adventure, you see, had, for the first time, aroused England's interest in the Near East. From then on, throughout the 19th century, England and Russia were the chief competitors for the control of those who controlled the Straits, namely the Turks. Russia's ambition was to partition European Turkey and capture Constantinople. England's interest, later on, centered on the lands near the Suez Canal. For a long time, however, she was busy restraining Russia and, incidentally, keeping the Russian fleet inside the Black Sea. In 1809, Turkey's right to exclude warships from the Straits was reasserted with England's support. Thus England, rather than Russia, became co-guardian of the Straits. Then, in 1833, Russia sent a squadron to Constantinople to protect the Sultan in his troubles with Mohammed Ali, the rebellious khedive of Egypt, and, as a result, the Tsar wangled a treaty which seemed to give him the inside track. But England and France protested, and eventually the five great powers of Europe jointly engaged themselves to keep all warships out of both sides of the Straits. That was the famous Straits Convention of 1841, which remained in force until the World War. Meantime, it became clearer and clearer that the unwieldy old Turkish Empire was crumbling. Russia, anxious to speed the process, made war on the sick man of Europe in 1854 and again in 1877. Both times, the sick man was saved by the Western powers, who were not ready for the kill. But France occupied Tunis, and England occupied Egypt, former Turkish territories both. In 1911, Italy made war and seized Tripoli, Turkey's last African possession, and then the Balkan states combined and took nearly all of European Turkey. Finally, the World War made an end of the old Turkish Empire. What remained was the new Turkish national state, confined to Asia Minor and a small piece of European territory near the Straits. The one country, ironically enough, which did not profit from the breakup of the old Turkey, was Russia, who for over a century had considered herself the sick man's principal heir. Russia's share of the World War spoils were to have included Constantinople and the Straits. But the Bolsheviks renounced these imperial ambitions and later even helped the nationalist Turks in resisting the Allies. Meantime, in November 1918, an Allied fleet passed through the Dardanelles and the Allies occupied Constantinople, considerably embarrassed as to what to do with it. After trying to persuade us, the United States, to accept a mandate over Constantinople and the Straits, they decided to internationalize them and demilitarize them under the Treaty of Sèvres. Thus the problem of the Straits might have been solved for all time. But the new nationalistic Turkey was rising from the ashes of the decadent empire. The revolutionary government of Mustafa Kemal annihilated the Greek armies sent against him and at a new conference in 1923 obtained free and secure possession of Constantinople and the demilitarized straits. Once again, the straits were to be free to merchant vessels of all flags and from now on warships too might pass in a definitely limited number. The non-Black Sea powers were permitted to send enough, however, to keep Soviet Russia in check. But this too was altered in 1936, when Turkey, under the Montreux Convention, was once again made sole keeper of the Straits. In view of the international situation, with Germany rearming and Italy on the war path, Turkey was given the right to re-fortify the Straits and close them against belligerent war vessels in time of war. Moreover, Russia was given free passage into the Aegean for her warships in time of peace, while the warships of all other powers passing into the Black Sea were strictly limited so as not to exceed the Russian fleet. Thus, Soviet Russia profited from the Montreux Convention as well as Turkey herself. By making a friend of the new Turkey, Soviet Russia had come nearer to fulfilling the old imperial aspirations than the belligerent Russia of the Tsars. A new and sinister factor has now been introduced by the Nazis' push to the east. The Dardanelles are no longer an insurmountable problem to the modern military machine. Turkey, the ally of Britain under the Mutual Assistance Pact, is obviously not in a position to resist Germany without material help. Help could come only from England or Russia. Whether either or both of them would be adequate is it more than doubtful. Without such help, Turkey has only the same alternatives which Yugoslavia and Greece had to face. The question, therefore, is not so much what will Turkey do, but what will Soviet Russia permit her to do? Or perhaps what the men of Moscow and Berlin will decide she must do after the present preliminary skirmishes are over and the new diplomatic adjustments have been made. For the present, only the Nazis' purpose is clear. They will not attack Turkey, oh no, if Turkey will only agree to become the base for an offensive through Iraq, where Rashid Ali's troops have just shelled the British airfield, through Transjordan and Palestine, while the Axis African forces push forward on the other side of Suez. And what will be the fate of the Turkish Straits? Will the Soviets, after all, revive the ancient imperial claim, or will they relinquish it to Germany and hope for compensation further east? Or will Turkey, by playing ball, and careful balancing between rival forces be able to maintain a precarious guardianship until the final decision at the end of the war? That, today, is the riddle of the Straits. Good night.
1: You have been listening to Caesar Searchinger, presented by the National Broadcasting Company in cooperation with the American Historical Association. Please remember that copies of these talks are available for ten cents in stamps or coin, by addressing the story behind the headlines, National Broadcasting Company, Post Office Box 30, Station J, New York City. Next Friday evening, Caesar Searchinger will be back with another story behind the headlines.